Welcome to another episode of Valley Investors Edge Live. This morning, we have Starbulk on the line, Hamish Norton, the president, along with Simo Spiro and Christos Berglis, the CFOs, to discuss with us the Starbulk company prospects, capital allocation, as well as the overall dry bulk markets. Uh, before we begin, just a quick disclosure, I am personally long shares of Starbulk. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. So first of all, as we start this discussion, we'll, we'll start with the broad overall dry bulk market. Uh, we, I know we had a lot of strength into the summer. We had some headlines the last few weeks about hitting multi-year highs. I believe it was eight-year highs in Cape sizes. Uh, as we start to enter October, we've seen some of the, uh, the Baltic dry index start to come down a little bit. We've seen the Cape size rates uh, go down. I think they went down from about 35,000 uh, last month to about 24,000 now. Um, in your view, how is that dry bulk market shaping up? Uh, is it uh, is the strength sustainable, or we, we have we already surpassed those peaks? We think the strength has a good bit of life left in it. Uh, we, we actually have Constantinos Simantiras, who's head of our market research department, on the line, and maybe he can say a few words. Yeah, sure. Hi, everybody. Uh, so, yeah, you know, we the the market during the last uh, couple of quarters uh, started to strengthen and reach record highs. Uh, the main reason behind it was is uh, we have identified that it's supply related. It's uh, preparations for the IMO, taking a lot of tonnage uh, for scrubber installations, uh, and at the same time, uh, you know, in the the dry bulk market, it's a very seasonal market, and especially this year with all the with the accidents and the virus typhoons in Australia and Brazil uh, that affected the flows during the first half, uh, we saw a strong resumption of volumes. And, you know, this combination of lower supply and various inefficiencies and, uh, and uh, undersupply in the Atlantic uh, led to a strong reaction higher. Um, but at the same time, you know, the market reached the record highs during the third quarter. Um, but uh, when we monitor uh, the demand side, we see that the volumes compared to last year are actually slightly down. So in our opinion, uh, what is going on, uh, on right now is a normalization, a breather, let's say, uh, where rates are uh, correcting and uh, for a couple of, uh, for a, for potentially for a couple of weeks, month, a month perhaps, as the supply normalizes. Uh, but uh, we have strong indications that demand uh, will uh, will be very strong during the fourth quarter, as we have a lot of iron ore uh, still be, be ha- that has to get uh, to be moved. Uh, the, the at the same time we had a bauxite uh, during August and September being low, and now we have the seasonality picking up. And uh, as we approach the, the winter, we will also see more coal uh, volumes uh, coming up as uh, consumption for thermal uh, electricity picks up. So, you know, we, we are also entering uh, the, uh, the second stage of the IMO, where we will see further uh, disruption on the supply side. We will also see a lot of vessels trying to, you know, getting uh, off hire to switch and clean their tanks. And then uh, we also expect uh, that uh, we will feel uh, some uh, positive effect from um, slow steaming economics, because uh, we expect a strong increase in bunker costs. And, you know, in order for the fleet to maintain the same speed, uh, the, the freight market will probably have to find a freight, uh, an equi- a freight equilibrium higher, which we expect that this pressure will provide strong support for the market. But as you know, the travel market is very, very volatile. And uh, let's see how it will play out. 
Yeah, thank you very much for that color. I, I really do appreciate it. You know, it's interesting to note that you said the 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 band volumes are actually a little bit lower year over year. Yet we see, uh, you know, the tightness in the market, and you know, July, August, and September are all brought very strong rates. Um, so you also mentioned kind of IMO 2020 and, and some of the scrubber uh, installations. Uh, how is that developing so far? Have you started to see any sort of distortions in the market? I know obviously there's some supply coming off, right, due to the scrubber installations. Have you seen anything else related to uh, ship patterns or trade or anything like that? Uh, just um, a quick comment that uh, the main thing that we, we've been observing as uh, from, a, from a research point of view is that we see strong... Uh, Supply shortages in the Atlantic, which which is related to vessels repositioning to the Pacific for scrubber installations. But Hamish, you can uh, take the rest. Of it. it looks to us like the the shortage of vessels, you know, due to scrubber installations, is probably not getting better until you know second or third quarter of 2020. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to to see that that supply yeah. offtake is going to be is be persisting right through through second quarter yeah. of 2020. You know, yeah. I, I know your scrubber program was, was kind of ahead of the curve. I, if I remember correctly, the majority of those uh, were on track to be completed by the end of 2019. Is is that still the case or are we seeing any sort of delays there? Well, it's basically still the case. Um, uh, you know, we're certainly delayed relative to what our initial plans were, but our initial plans had enough breathing room in them that we're still going to have almost all of our scrubbers in by year end. Um, in our last investor call, quarterly investor call, we had a chart which is still on our website in the presentation showing the scrubber installation schedule. And basically, we're going to get all the scrubbers in except for those on a few of the Delphin fleet vessels that we acquired uh, relatively recently. Excellent, Hamish. So is it fair to say the majority of those should be done probably January, February of next year at the very latest? And if so on that also, has there been any sort of, we, we've seen a lot of news reports about you know, scrubber failings or issues or additional off-fire. Have you had any issues with your uh, fleet in terms of technicals? So yeah, I, I, the, the Delphin ships, those Delphin ships that won't get scrubbers by year end should have them by end February. Um, and, you know, we have not had any uh, unusual technical problems. And, you know, uh, there has been publicity about uh, at, at, at least one or possibly two scrubber failures, um, which were fairly spectacular. Um, but we, we haven't we haven't had any any issues um, and we don't frankly anticipate significant issues. The, the, the scrubbers are pretty simple things. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the issues in the past were around corrosion, not in our fleet, but in other people's fleets. And the corrosion stemmed from having either, um, you know, not the right uh, steel alloy in the scrubber or incorrect um, uh, coatings or coating preparation. And, you know, we've learned from other people's mistakes and I, I think we've done it right.
Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. Like you said, yeah, the uh, the Scrubber news was quite spectacular, and it, I think it was on the headlines of a few uh, shipping news organizations the last couple of weeks. And I know you, you have one of the largest Scrubber programs uh, in the global fleet, uh, so definitely wanted to reach out and talk about that. Um, a lot of these Scrubber installations are taking place in, in the Pacific Basin, which is resulting in a lot of the fleet getting shifted over in that direction. Um, how are you doing as far as your fleet? I know, I know your installation started a little bit early. Have you been able to position uh, some of your fleet uh, back to the Atlantic where the rates have been higher? Or on, in that regard, how are the rates looking? Or how, what is the difference between the Atlantic and the Pacific? Okay, so we, we, first of all, the, the vast majority of our scrubbers are getting installed in China. Uh, a few of them are being installed in Greece, but the you know, vast majority in China because it's less expensive. Um, th- that being said, of course, you know, uh, 40% of dry bulk cargoes end up in China anyway. And when we're talking iron ore, it's even a higher percentage than that. So, you know, cape sizes, for example, you know, end up in China at a a tremendous part of the time, whether they're installing scrubbers or not. And then they either ballast back to the Atlantic or back to a loading port in the Pacific. Um, Most of our capes are in the Pacific. Um, Some of them are going back to the Atlantic. Um, Rates are higher in the Atlantic uh, by 4,000, maybe 4,500 a day. But of course, that's offset by the extra cost of ballasting back to the Atlantic. So, I mean, we're basically profit maximizing, you know, and what that results in is that a lot of the ships stay in the Pacific, but but we're moving them slowly to the Atlantic, as 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 it you know becomes attractive to do so. It's basically business as usual, frankly. That's good to hear, Hamish. Yeah, it's, it's good to hear that the the uh, scrubber installation hasn't skewed too much of the fleet. I know uh, if some of the companies we, we've talked to and we've looked at, uh, their their fleet is getting kind of skewed over to one side of, of the trade pattern, if you will. But I, I know your fleet's a lot larger and you did start that program a lot earlier. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned China a couple times, of, of course, for the scrubber installations, but also as part of this trade pattern. Um, have you seen much of an impact? Because the U.S.-China trade war in the United States, right? A lot of retail investors are looking to shipping are located in the United States, and the U.S.-China trade war has been a major topic. Have you, have you seen much impact on your specific fleet and specific trades? And just for everyone listening on, on the call and, and for later when we put out the recording, um, how big is the U.S.-China trade in terms of dry bulk? Uh, what percentage of the global market are we talking about here? It's really a tiny fraction of global dry bulk trade. Um, Basically, the only dry bulk cargo that China gets from the United States in any quantity are are soybeans or were soybeans. And, um, you know, soybeans as a whole are a pretty small fraction of global dry bulk trade. Um, And, you know, it's, it's actually not even the trade war that's affecting soybean flows um for the most part it's it's actually the african swine fever which has caused um the reduction in the herd of pigs in china by about a third and you know the soybeans that china imports are used mostly to feed pigs and the pigs are eating about a third fewer soybeans because there are fewer pigs 
if they needed the soybeans and they didn't want to buy them from the United States, they would get them from Brazil and Argentina, which is actually, you know, in many cases, more ton miles. Um, and so we would be fine. Um, but, you know, um, uh, there's simply a, a reduced demand for, for soybeans, and yet we see these these rates. Um, so, you know, movements of iron ore, coal, uh, other grains, basically unaffected by the trade war. Um, and in fact, to the extent the trade war has an effect on the Chinese economy, uh, the Chinese government's economic stimuli tend to be focused on real estate and infrastructure, which basically cause more steel to be produced. And of course, steel production is directly helpful to dry bulk. Uh, it involves increased iron ore and coal movement, which are the, the two largest cargoes. So, I mean, that, you know, short, short answer is that the trade war really doesn't have a direct effect on us. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate the color. It's just yeah. it's such a common question here, especially with you know U.S. centric and Euro centric investors, where you know U.S. China trade war is like the topic of the day, right? And people think think they think you know United States and China, which might be true for containers, but you know obviously the driver will get a very small percentage of the market. I've I've heard three percent tossed uh, around a few times in, in terms of you know how large soybean trade is, perhaps as even an, an overestimation. Um, but regardless, yeah, it seems like it's a it's a, it's a pretty small factor. And, and thank you also for the color there on the on the swine flu. I think that's kind of underreported uh, in the United States as well. Um, you shifted a little bit to China and iron ore. You mentioned how that was a, a change, and I know we had the valve disruption early in 2019, and that kind of crushed the rates. And we saw them starting to come back online in June, and that was kind of the bullish pivot. Uh, we've also read a little bit of stuff about uh, the China festivities. They're doing you know the 70 year celebration and stuff like that. And there's been some more focus on air quality and perhaps some uh, steel restrictions. Have you seen anything like that in the markets? Uh, basically, air quality issues causing uh, imports to be reduced. Yeah, that's correct. Has that been a major factor for the dry bulk market for you yet, or is that just more? Of like it, I mean, it, 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 it frankly doesn't seem to be a, a major issue right now. And, you know, we're actually seeing strong imports of iron ore and, you know, anticipate increased imports of coal um, because of, um, you know, the, the, the need to um, generate electricity and heat uh, and, and in, a, in a situation where there's reduced hydroelectric output. So it's basically a seasonal increase in the demand for coal. Constantino Cimenteros, I don't know if, if you have something to add. Yeah, actually, you know, the Chinese over the last five years, uh, especially during October, November, where they have all these, they have various events uh, where they 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 direct on to the steel mills to cut down on production uh, for a couple of weeks to improve the air quality. Uh, this is this has been the case, but uh, it usually involves, you know, as a, a small regions and uh, certain uh, cities. It, it, it doesn't impact the, na the nationwide uh, uh, output uh, where uh, the, the, the numbers are really big. 
it, you know, it's one of those things where you, you see the headlines and, and you wonder what the actual freight market impact is. And I know we've seen the Cape size rates falling back down. So it's kind of the national question was maybe that was the cause or, or, or something else. Uh, what, do you, what do you think is the cause of this recent recent decline in, in the Cape size rates? It's been, it's been pretty dramatic. I mean, we're still at high levels, but it, it's fallen from about 35,000 down to about 24,000 recently. Uh, um, let me let me uh, answer that. Uh, the, the reason is uh, a normalization of supply in the Atlantic, uh, and uh, as as we as we mentioned in the beginning of the call, uh, demand volumes over the last couple of uh, months uh, have not been very high. So, you know, um, you had demand being relatively weak. The supply side is uh, normalizing right now, but this is uh, this is um, short-term related because uh, um, you know you had a, a really large uh, amount of uh, VLOC vessels being stuck in the Pacific for retrofits and uh, shortages of uh, vessels, which created a shortage of larger vessels in the Atlantic. Now we see a small wave of VLOCs ar- arriving in the Atlantic uh, towards uh, mid end October. And as this vessel, this vessel will help Brazil push uh, their exports higher, but at the same time, they're causing a slight decrease in demand for Cape size. Uh, but uh, this is very cyclical. And uh, as we enter the November, December period, where we expect that the Brazil and Vale will have to export, uh, will have to increase uh, weekly volumes from, by approximately 40% from where they stand today. Uh, in order to reach their low end of their, uh, you know, annual target, uh, which they revised lower, uh, we, we expect a, a new round of tightness to take place, especially towards November, December. So, you know, it's uh, I, I, it's, it's possible that freight rates run uh, increased probably too high towards uh, July or August. They now normalize, and uh, we'll see how high they will get over the next. Uh, seasonal tightness, which uh, should come over the next two months. Excellent. Yeah, let, let's hope they uh, tighten up quickly here in the next uh, few weeks as you get ready to report your earnings. So you have a nice backdrop there. And then let's hope that uh, scrubber-induced tightness remains strong into uh, into 2020 there. I, I think we've done a you know, pretty good job of covering kind of the big picture macro environment and, and dry bulk market overall. Let's let's pivot a little bit into uh, Starbucks specifics. So I, I know you've mentioned in the past that you, you'd like to bring back dividends uh, when the rates improve. Um, are we are we quite there yet? Could could we expect a dividend maybe by the end of the year or early 2020, or is that a little bit premature at this point? We need to have a, a board decision, but I would not be surprised to um, see uh, a dividend policy announcement late in the year or early 2020, with with uh, possibly a dividend following um, early in 2020. Um, you know, certainly that's been our intention, and it remains our intention. Excellent. It's good to get to see that that's still on the plate. In regards to yeah. dividends, uh, that kind of brings us into a, a big picture capital allocation, right? So, are we looking at maybe more more vessels coming into the fleet, or are we looking at dividends, or do you still consider stock repurchase to be attractive? Are we repurchasing debt? Like, what what is kind of the priorities at this point? Yeah. Okay, so for, first of all, we haven't bought vessels in a way that would slow down a dividend now for you know a couple of years at least. Um, the the fleet acquisitions we've made recently 
have been using our shares and have not, frankly, either increased or decreased the leverage ratios of Starbulk really at all. Um, you know, they, they, they've basically been geared toward increasing our market cap, increasing our public float, increasing our liquidity without really making a bullish or a bearish bet on the market um, and, and without impacting our ability to pay dividends. And, you know, I, I don't think we want to do anything that would impact our ability to pay dividends. Um, in terms of dividends versus stock buybacks, you know, uh, frankly, I think management uh, of Starbuck anticipates that the share price will probably trade, you know, uh, more in line uh, with with our views of value as we start to produce significant cash flows and, um, you know, start to have a dividend so that um, probably a dividend will be more attractive for everyone, everyone than, than stock buybacks. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I don't think for the foreseeable future that we're going to be uh, borrowing money to buy ships, although we may make fleet acquisitions using our shares. It seems last year, yeah, we, we had three or four of those transactions where you used shares to you know, acquire ships on a nav-to-nav basis. Um, is that something you see going forward? Or is there still some appetite? You think maybe some private fleets that would like to join the, the Starbulk umbrella? Or do you think maybe we've kind of hit the peak on those? Well, you know, we still see uh, situations from time to time. And it's very hard to tell whether those um, result in deals or not. Um, so, you know, when, when we find out, you'll find out. When it comes sort of to fleet transactions, uh, there are three important criteria that uh, basically drive our decisions, our board's decisions. Um, number one, I mean, the quality of vessels, those must be vessels that we like and uh, improve the average profile of uh, our existing fleet. Uh, number two, I mean, the leverage should be at the same levels as our overall leverage if we're transferring debt or we would raise debt at a similar levels to our current sort of overall leverage of the company. And then number three, it's um, scrubbers. I mean, those vessels would have to be effectively scrubber fitted in order not to dilute the earning potential of our fleet and the earnings per share of our fleet. Um, they should be accretive uh, on, that, on that basis. I know it's kind of an estimate at this point, but but what yeah. sort of delta are we we expecting in TCEs? Okay, so th- this this is the um, sixty four thousand dollar question, and um, you know we 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 don't expect a TC differential to be sixty four thousand a day. That's for sure. Um, although uh, it will exceed that on our whole fleet, of course. Um, you know uh, there there are couple of things that go into many things that go into that calculation of charter rate differential. Um, one, and maybe the most important, is the difference in price between high sulfur fuel that we can burn using scrubbers and low sulfur fuel that ships without scrubbers will need to burn, which will be more expensive fuel. Um, 
the the next thing basically is how much fuel we will burn using uh, scrubbers and how much fuel a ship will burn if it uses expensive low sulfur fuel, which will actually be a bit less fuel because those ships will go slower um, due to the the high fuel cost. Um, and, and um, you know, then uh, the other thing to take into account is if a ship is on a time charter, um, it's the charterer who pays for the fuel uh, and therefore the charterer who gets the direct savings. And there has to be a negotiation in a time charter to transfer those savings to the ship owner. Um, so there, there is a forward market in uh, high sulfur versus low sulfur fuel. And for 2020, that forward market is roughly a difference of $240 a, a ton. Uh, but that forward market changes all the time. Um, and our fleet burns, you know, roughly 1.2 million tons of fuel a year. Um, and you can get a very rough approximation to the savings we will have by taking the fuel we burn and multiplying it by the spread uh, between high sulfur and low sulfur fuel prices. You know, that doesn't take into account ships that might be on time charter, doesn't take into account the fact that ships that are burning high sulfur fuel will go slower and burn less fuel, but it's it sort of gives you a ballpark estimate. We will try not to put our ships on time charter, but to use uh, voyage chartering, which will... Um, basically mean the fuel is for our expense and therefore we will be the direct beneficiaries of the fuel price differential. So, um, you know, but very roughly take the forward market and multiply by, you know, a million or million, 1.2 million tons. Yeah, thanks, Hamish. I, I, I bust out my calculator as you were talking, and I, I believe I rounded out to about three dollars a share in, in potential fuel savings. So, yeah, that's that's certainly significant. Um, you mentioned that you you're not really looking into having any charters because you want to keep the you know the fuel benefit for yourself. Have you seen some offers for reasonable charters, or is there still kind of that huge bid ask spread between you know what the charters are willing to pay and and the kind of spreads they're anticipating and and what you guys are looking at on your end? Well, I mean. W w w we do have a couple of time charters on ships with scrubbers and um you know the 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 significant majority of the profits seem to go to the owner on time charters that are negotiated recently um but you know not 100% okay for the most part yeah, you know, yeah. I understand some of those some of those terms might be more confidential than others. But can you speak in, yeah. in in generalities about the structure of the contract? Is is that sort of like an index linked contract with with a mechanism for the spread of the fuel, or is it a fixed rate, or what sort of contract structures are those? Um, well, I, I mean, uh, I know about uh, 
two charters that we have on ships with scrubbers that go into 2020. Um, one of them is index linked, where basically 100% of the differential in fuel prices goes to us. And another one is fixed rate, but we're uh, in excess of 70% of the fuel price differential goes to us. Um, but um, again, we are intending to use time charters, frankly, as little as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we, are, we are beefing up our capacity to use the voyage market. And also, this is Christos, maybe worth adding, uh, compared to 12 months ago, when we started having discussions with various charters, we see the big charters more willing to share a larger percentage of the profit due to the scrubber, due to the spread. Um, so one year ago, charters were greedier and were trying to sort of absorb uh, 50% uh, at the time of sort of the spread. Uh, today, we see them much more willing to, to give a larger percentage uh, to us. Yeah, that's good to see. It would it would make sense that the you know the end customer would like to hedge away a lot of that fuel risk and exposure. I mean, you know, maybe not a hundred percent, but they that they would be willing to give a large percentage. And you know, the seventy percent structure certainly uh, makes sense to me. And and the other charter, the one that's index linked with a hundred percent of fuel savings, obviously sounds even better. So if you can get more deals like that, that would be that would be well, fantastic. Well, I mean, we're 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 actually I think happier to do voyage even than a time charter with a hundred percent sharing uh, on an index basis. And the, the reason is basically that if a charterer who pays for the fuel and tells you how fast to run the ship is giving the owner 100% of the fuel savings, the charterer is in effect paying for the expensive fuel and will run the ship more slowly as a result then it would be economically optimal to do if you owned the ship and were paying for the fuel yourself. Um, so there are some very subtle effects going on there, but it's actually better economically to run in the voyage market, you know, uh, with a scrubber um, almost no matter what. It's interesting. I, you know, it brings up an angle that I hadn't really discussed before. You know, the the exact economics of because uh, you're dividing the total revenue from the voyage by how many days you're on the water, right? So if you're if your your voyage is faster because of the cheaper fuel, then your TCE would therefore be higher. You know, Starbolt is is it looks like you're well positioned for the for the 2020 markets and and the dry bulk markets themselves are doing very well. But even with that said, and we, we talked about fuel savings, and I understand it's napkin math, right? But we talked about fuel savings of around three dollars per share with that current with that current spread. Um, but Starbolt trades at just a significant discount to NAV, and I I know different analysts have different numbers for NAV, but um, we see you guys at, at more than a thirty percent discount, and and that's before. Uh, giving you any sort of credit for this this scrubber enhanced fleet. Now, if we start thinking that earnings are going to be two or three dollars per share higher, which I understand just an estimate, but that that makes that discount even wider. Um, so, why do you think that that Starbuck is trading at this discount, uh, given how you're positioned, and and are you doing anything to try to improve those valuations of the shares? Well, let's answer your second question first. 
we're trying to run the company the best way we know how <laughs> and produce as much money for our shareholders as possible. And, um, you know, that's basically all we can do uh, along with, you know, explaining to people what we're doing. Um, but, you know, in terms of uh, the share price movement, um, you know, that's up to you guys. And just to add to what Amy has just said, uh, we have purchased about 3 million shares um, effectively since um, the beginning of the year. Um, and what's interesting is that we have used essentially proceeds from vessels that we have sold to buy back uh, those shares at uh, an even higher discount to NAV to what we are actually trading today. So uh, where we see opportunity um, and in a way that does not compromise uh, the overall cash balance of the company, we will try to improve uh, the value of our shares for our shareholders. Yeah, excellent. And yeah, we've been we've been fairly long term, I guess you could say medium term shareholders of Starbucks. So we're well aware of the operational uh, you know, results and, and positioning in the 2020. It just is interesting to see the market applying these 30 or 40 percent discounts, uh, what have you, to the NAV ahead of these things. And, and yeah, we saw those repurchases and, you know, huge fans of those that, you know, you mentioned that you've only done repurchases from, you know, proceeds from selling vessels, which is prudent and, and made sense when you know, profits weren't very large. But turning into Q3 and going forward, there's going to be a significant amount of free cash flow. Is there a chance that you might use some of that free cash flow to continue to repurchase shares if we keep seeing these discounts? Well, uh, you know, it's it's a chicken and egg problem. Our suspicion is that when people see an imminent dividend, that that may uh, persuade certain people who have been avoiding dry bulk investments to come in and, um, you know, that, that might, um, you know, push the share price up to a level where, frankly, dividends made sense. Uh, you know, as I say, it is a bit of a chicken and egg problem, but we suspect that the dividend will, will probably correct this issue. Yeah, we certainly we certainly hope so. And and you know, if you paying out a significant portion of your cash flows, you know that'll be a very large dividend, uh, especially into 2020. Here, is there a specific yeah. uh, you know percentage or a rough estimate of of how you want to split those cash flows between you know debt reduction on one hand and dividends on the other? Uh, it's uh, it's a topic that's under uh, under debate right now, and no conclusion. But you know, I I think you've you've hit the nail on on the head in terms of the the two uses for cash which you know are basically debt reduction net debt reduction and um, and dividends excellent Hamish I think dividends will will definitely help the perception of the markets it's been a really dry uh, spell for us for a while Um, I I would just kind of I guess advocate a little bit as a shareholder here uh, that if we keep seeing these huge NAV discounts I would much 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 prefer to see repurchases than dividends I I know all investors are different um, but as far as you know dividends and taxation that sort of thing getting a NAV discount uh, you're getting a much better economic return from repurchases if the cash flows are what we expect and, you know, the dividend is in the range that, you know, is reasonable, if there's still a NAV discount, um, I will be somewhat surprised. But, uh, you know, if, if there is, we'll be rational about it. 
Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Let, let's uh, return to the historical days where we had NAV premiums and uh, get Starbucks shares where they belong. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Hamish. I, I think this was an enlightening call yeah. for us, especially on the dry bulk markets. And I appreciate you answering the questions on capital allocation as well. Uh, thanks for everyone for joining us this morning. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our live discussion with Starbolt Carriers, featuring Hamish Norton, President, along with CFOs Simo Spiro and Christos Bergelis, as well as Constantinos Simonteros, Head of Starbolt Market Research. As a reminder, I am long shares of Starbolt Carriers. Feel free to join our research platform and take place in future discussions. To read my research, please navigate to seekingalpha.com and search for Jay Minsmeyer. To access our premium content, you can navigate direct to minsmeyer.com. That's M-I-N-T-Z. M-Y-E-R dot com to sign up for a free trial.